Stork Talks. Welcome to Stork Talks with Zoe and Tom. The storks have been part of life in The Hague for centuries. Have you spotted one yet? Each week, Stork Talks delves into a range of stories, news and anecdotes. And for the next hour, we'll take you under our wings as we discover the city of peace and justice. This is truly a special place to live and we invite you to tune in and discover it with us each Thursday between 8 and 9 p.m. on 92.0 Den Haag FM. Yes, and last week we heard from Lawrence Koch of the Hague Business Agency. As the head of foreign direct investment, Lawrence explained what the city of The Hague can expect in the wake of Brexit. Specifically, the movement of NGOs and the impact economy startups from the UK and how the city of peace and justice is preparing for such eventualities. This week, Zoe, you've turned your attention to another type of initiative that involved the Dutch tradition of cycling. Indeed, Tom. Cycling of one kind or another is never far from our hearts here in the Netherlands. But this initiative is specifically focused on professional cycling. And it is the brainchild of a man named Michael de la Grange. Now, originally, Michael is from the US, but he is now a resident of The Hague and is co-owner of Lola Bikes and Coffee. For those of you who know the spot on the Nord Einde Street, uh, you will know that it is far more than just a coffee shop. It has become the center of a range of inspiring bike and coffee related projects that reach all the way to East Africa. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today on Stork Talks. Thanks for having me, Sorry. Now, we spoke a little last week and you, you told me about three different projects, in fact, that you're working on uh, in this regard. So perhaps you could just start off by telling us what got you started with Amani to begin with. Well, uh, a few partners of mine, uh, we took over Lola Bikes and Coffee in 2018. And there was already, so we've been building the Lola Cycling Club since 2013. And we have over 150 active members. And the Lola Bikes and Coffee itself has always had a tie, uh, a philanthropic tie with, uh, with East Africa since, since the beginning. And I work in the International Criminal Court in my day job, and I spend quite a lot of time in East Africa. And so we thought uh, when, we, when we started Lola 2.0 in 2018 that maybe we would take another look at the philanthropic side of our, of our business and see if it was uh, yeah, fit for purpose and, uh, and the best we could do with, uh, with where we were situated in The Hague and, and, our, and our brand as a bike and coffee business. So that's how it started. Essentially, the idea behind the, the project is that we are, uh, because we live in The Hague and because we're all cycling uh, enthusiasts, as you say, I would say more fanatical, but uh, we have a nice place to potentially offer uh, those who are riding in, in quite seriously in East Africa opportunities to come and race uh, in, in Europe. And the way that we would do that and the way that, uh, that this project sort of came about is that we just went, I spent time with those riders uh, in the different clubs in, in Kenya, uh, Rwanda, and Uganda specifically. And what they were telling us is that the specific thing that they needed was race, race opportunities. This is the thing that they were being denied. Uh, and so, and we as, as, as huge sports fans wanted our sport and continue to want our sport to be as international as possible. I mean, we have a, 
a very famous race called the World Championship, but only you know eight to ten countries seriously vie for it. So, is it a World Championship? Is it you know is this an inclusive sport to the degree that we want it to be? Perhaps not. Uh, now, just just to be clear, Michael. So, this is a focus really. Although, as you know, the Netherlands is a biking nation, and we all have our bicycles. Uh, but this is specifically a focus on professional cycling, and you're really aiming to try to help professional cyclists coming from East Africa to sort of get get a foot in the door uh, in the professional cycling world here uh, in Europe. And does that also include other areas of the world, like the US, and or is this specifically more the sort of the European cycling scene? Like it or not, the and thank you for clarifying. Indeed, yes, I'm talking about uh, race cycling, uh, and and I know in, in Holland that could be confused because uh, everybody has a quite a strong familiarity with uh, with commuting and using the bike for that purpose. Um, well, like it or not, professional cycling is based in Europe. Okay, uh, it's uh, all of the major races, all of the the focus of the sport is all European based. And that's why this project is what it is, because we are in one of the meccas of European cycling here in Holland. And we have a strong tie also with the Dutch Cycling Federation, with the uh, executive director as, as one of, uh, of the board members of the Amoni project. What we're trying to basically do is um, when these riders, the guys who are the best in, you know, in, in Kenya, the best in Rwanda, come and, and get a shot in, in the European peloton, it's such a high pressure moment because they are already having to be the best of the best from their own country. And then they get one shot. Whereas, you know, uh, riders who may come from the Netherlands or who come from Belgium, if they're having a bad day, they're just having a bad day. You know, they just go home, try again the next day. Uh, but if, if you're coming from one of these countries, you may be the only chance you get. And the expectations are in our view, uh, a little bit disproportionate, a little bit unrealistic. So, one of the things that we're trying to do using our cycling club, this big community of, of, of people who are, are quite supportive of this project, is to create a lower pressure environment for these guys to come, guys and girls to come, experience life in Europe, experience uh, racing in Europe, uh, but, but not at such a high level of pressure. Doing it at a younger age to minimize the attrition rate so that when these guys come and they're ready for that next big jump, whether it be the, the actual world tour level or what we call the pro-continental level, just a level beneath, um, they will already have a frame of reference thrown into a cultural environment that they're not familiar with. You're, you're talking here, if I, can, if I can clarify, about young cyclists from, from East Africa with potential coming over and spending perhaps months at a time in Europe? We're, we're aiming at two racing blocks, uh, about a month long each, where they'll do a lot of local races here in The Hague, uh, a lot of technical races, we call them crit races, to just uh, get their skill level up, get them familiar with the type of racing that we have, especially here in the Benelux area. And then uh, each racing block will culminate with a big ticket event, where, uh, where if they were to do well, then they would get quite a bit of notoriety. And everyone, all the Dutch and international riders on our team, so all racing as part of the same team, same jerseys, everything, all will sacrifice themselves and their own ambitions for these guys to make sure that they get, they get the opportunities that they, that they deserve. Okay, sounds good. Now, you also mentioned to me a very exotic sounding project where you plan to have a, a cycle race through one of the national parks in Kenya. Now, coming from South Africa myself, I've not visited Kenya, but I'm always in awe of how beautiful it is. It is a stunning, stunning country. So could you tell us a bit more about that? Because it sounds like quite a lot of fun, but also quite 
I would imagine there's some challenges associated with that. Yeah, well, that's an understatement for sure. But uh, indeed, so this is a second prong of, of the project that we had. And a lot of this came out of the challenges faced with Corona. So obviously the, that first project that I was just describing got turned on its head a bit this year. And so we had to really think creatively about how we could still meet our project's objectives, which are, uh, again, creating opportunities for these guys and girls to come and race. And so, and one of the big challenges that, uh, that we have at the development level in, in East Africa is that uh, a very unstable financial where, you know, donors and, 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 and corporations and those who are adding money for these teams. I mean, cycling funding model in general is very unstable, but it's even worse in these areas. And so with this race, we, we decided to come up with a, a, a top tier gravel race. And so this is an out, so off pavement race across like uh, not only gravel roads, but uh, game trails, dirt roads. I, I, mean, I can imagine. I yes, can imagine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad and, uh, I'm not doing it, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, sounds and, challenging. And, and in Kenya, they are blessed with uh, just amazing uh, landscape, as you as, yes, as, absolutely as you described, and uh, quite diverse terrain. And and the Maasai Mara is one of the most famous game reserves in the world. And uh, we have some really great partners on the in the ground who uh, who've been doing these kinds of events for 20, 30 years. We just now, about two and a half weeks ago, put on uh, the last recon of the event. So we, I did it. I also went uh, with, a, with a few of the Kenyan riders, so these professional uh, riders from Kenya. And we did the whole thing at a race pace, 650 kilometers uh, over four days, a lot of climbing, averaging at 2,000 meters altitude, and lots of animals. Amazing. It's really beautiful, really amazing. Uh, we're, yeah. we're announcing in the registration and everything uh, coming up. The race will be held uh, the 23rd to the 26th of June, 2021. Okay. okay. And so we're hoping to get some of the most uh, high-profile international racers uh, in the world who are in this scene and, and then bring them and race them against the best of East Africa. Instead of these guys having to always come to Europe to race and to have that, like, like I told you, that high-pressure environment, mm. now we're trying to turn the tables a little bit. Uh, and make it uh, make these guys come and race on, on their home. I think it's a great idea because Africa has just got so much space, and it's yeah, it's a place that has beautiful scenery, so much sunshine. It seems like in some ways it's a no-brainer to have a cycle race there. Of course, there are other challenges um, associated with it, but it, it sounds amazing. And, and the last thing I'll say about it is that. Um, it's, it's an opportunity for us also to show the value of unspoiled land. And I think uh, conservation is a, is a thing that Absolutely. we outdoor uh, enthusiasts all have in our minds. And, uh, and, and it's, I think, long past time that cycling and, and cyclists get involved in this narrative. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's, uh, let's go out and, and use some of this unspoiled land and let the resources trickle down to those who own it. There is, of course, a lot more that we could discuss. I'm aware of the time. So if people want to know more about any of these projects, they want to get more information, where, where can they look or how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, well, we're, we're really open. We're all volunteers. Uh, this project has uh, no administrative costs associated with it, no professional, <laughs> this isn't a professional NGO or anything. We're trying to, like I said, make our sport more international and inclusive. And so if you're into that uh, and you're into cycling, please join us. You can find uh, more information on our website at teamamani.com mm -hmm. or you can follow us on social media. Also, the Migration Gravel Race on, on social media for, for those of you who might uh, want to go and, and test yourselves uh, in a beautiful game. Reserve. 
Great. And, uh, and I guess yeah. you can also stop in at Lola Bikes and Coffee and just uh, have a coffee Absolutely. or have a little discussion perhaps with, with oh, someone yes. there. All of, our, all of our team are well uh, acquainted with the project and its ambition. So if you want to just come in and have a chat about it, that's also an option. And last but not least, uh, for our main, you know, our, our, our main project initiative, our, our goal is so to have these guys come for racing blocks. Mm. The one aspect that we still don't have yet sorted with uh, logistics and, and, and uh, accommodation. So... Uh, while we have big airline companies who who signed on and, and bikes and, and all the gear and everything else is sorted, but uh, but we're still looking for a partner with respect to accommodation for the racing blocks for the athletes. And we're talking about four athletes for, for about a month at a time. So if any of your listeners are out there and uh, want to contribute something in kind rather than uh, in coin, we'd be very happy to hear from you. So Great. Please, uh, so, yeah. So if you have a spare a spare room somewhere and then you'd you'd be happy to to share to help this project, then then they should definitely get in touch with you. That would be great. Okay, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today on Stalk Talks, and I wish you every success with with Project Amani, and I look forward to seeing how how things develop. Thanks so much for having me, Zoe. Honestly, Zoe, I find it fascinating. From between the initiatives that we had last week and then this one as well, these are these self-funded initiatives led by volunteers. It, it just shows how many amazing initiatives and ideas are out there. And the fact that he's trying to create the professional cycling scene and there's such a, a difficulty with reputation and, and pressure on performing in these scenes was something that I was completely unaware of. But as a, a Dutch person, being able to support professional cycling or cycling in any way, shape or form, I'm, I'm all for it. Yes, I agree, Tom. I mean, well, as I think I said on the interview, I'm certainly no expert when it comes to professional cycling, but I think you're right. I think the notion that um, by getting together, helping uh, other people and one another in, in voluntary capacities, I think this is really, it's good to see and it's heartwarming and it's perhaps it's something that Corona has helped make us more aware of. I agree. I, I think so. I think so. Stork Talks. Last month, Zoe, I explored the world of tea and coffee. Um, we learned about matcha tea from Hagda tea, the English tea, and the ceremony of high tea from Richard of Scallywags. Uh, in addition to that, we explored the world of growing and roasting both Italian and Colombian coffees, and uh, we spoke to a few award-winning baristas. And uh, this week, we're doing something a little different because, of course, as you know, the festive season is coming up, so we're going to be talking about festive drinks. Yes, Tom. Well, I think we, we decided to take a little impromptu tour of the Hague's, what I call watering holes coming from South Africa, to discover what was on offer by way of Glühwein, hot chocolate and other festive drinks. I admit I am a bit of a Glühwein fan. Yeah, and I, I think that became very clear in our, our little trip. But it, it was an absolute delight. And uh, in our interviews or in our exploration of these water holes, we had the pleasure of speaking to a few owners. And we've put together two little short interviews with some of their perceptions and favorites when it comes to these Christmas beverage. So first up, we're going to listen to the uh, owner of the Giro's Club. And he shared uh, his own version of Gluwein, a German version of Gluwein, um, but a bit different. And secondly, you're going to listen to a, a short interview with Christian from uh, Sixpence, which is a, an Irish bar here in, in The Hague, and who told us what the Italian versions are of some of these festive drinks. So when we're speaking about festive beverages during the holiday season, what comes to mind for you? I think the people, they need to, this time, to have something special. Like, for example, nice drinks to take away, of course, because with Corona we cannot have people in our place. Make some things like cocktails and uh, at this moment, with this weather, we can make nice warm chocolates, glue wines. We try to do our best. Yeah, you told me you actually have a very special variant of or your own version of glue wine. I was a few years ago in Munich 
in Germany and uh, I was there for actually for the October fest for the festival for the beer festival and some people locals there they say to me you have to go the, you know after the beers we want to drink cocktails and we want to drink something more heavy so I went in a very special pub this was like a beer house and uh, there they made their own uh, glue wine I liked it very much and they say to me that they use a kind of other way how they make a glue wine because most of the glue wines are a little bit sweet and uh, a little bit strong I think but this one was very fruity and uh, very interesting so I asked them how they make it and um, we made this option also here for the glue wine so we make special Munich wine yeah of course you can't tell us all the secrets but what goes into making a good glue wine yeah I think good glue wine is just to use kind of fermentation you know you can use herbs which are like for the cardamom the peel from orange cinnamon and uh, you can make also the sterilize some more papers uh, like mix from papers like quarters we say here then you leave it a few hours to make some like uh, infused and then this wine you can use it with a little bit uh, brown sugar and you make a very nice wine that's our recipe. So, so last question. What is on top of your wishing list when it comes to beverages this Christmas? My wish is to have back our life. One of my best wishes is that people, they are healthy. That's very important because we want to have healthy people. And to open the stores again and to have back the normal life because we all, we need that. And the people to enjoy and for us because we work for it and we live from that. And uh, I think... It was enough now, one year, almost one year, is it like this. Thank you so much. So when it comes to the festive season, what type of beverages should we be thinking about? Okay, of course, at the first place uh, is uh, the Gluvain. It's uh, starting to be cold, uh, and uh, there is the perfect time for a Gluvain. Yeah, a lot of people drink it, uh, a lot of people like it. And in Italy, every winter, we were used to, in the old place where I was working, to do the uh, big pans of Gluvain. We call it Vimbrule. So, so naturally, the Italians have their own variations of glue wine, and you told me they have a variation of many, many types of, of festive beverages. So they also have a different thing when it comes to eggnog. Yes, uh, eggnog is uh, a little bit different. Okay, uh, we have our own eggnog. Is just for uh, let's understand what you are talking about. Uh, our egg liquor is born in the north of Italy. is made just with uh, red uh, of eggs. Marsala is a dry in Italian wine and uh, pure alcohol. After uh, you go to mix, mix it with whiskey, with rum, or one of those, how you like. And uh, yeah, you have Bombardino, a little bit of uh, white cream on the top, cacao, and uh, is lovely warm drink. Uh, for everybody while uh, the skiing time. Mm -hmm. So these are the, the alcoholic beverages. So you have the Bombardino from Italy, you have the, the glue wine variation from Italy, but you also have hot chocolates. And that's also very typical. So what recipe, what is your favorite variant of the hot chocolate? As a chocolate, also I bring this from myself from Italy because uh, in the winter, uh, every bar serves uh, all different kinds of the chocolate. My favorite, my favorite, honestly, is uh, orange with uh, infusion of cinnamon. But uh, we have different kinds, like the anise, vanilla, the white chocolate, dark chocolate. And you can uh, mix everything to make it a little bit more funny with uh, rum, amaretto or uh, whiskey. So uh, what beverages should we cross off our list this Christmas or perhaps put on our Christmas list to want from Santa? Ah, th this is really difficult to say, actually, because uh, 
Uh, yeah, I love all of them. <laughs> I cannot choose between, uh, between one. I have to say two, Luvaina and uh, Bombardino. I cannot uh, be without it. <laughs> Thank you so much and uh, happy holidays. Thank you, absolutely. Happy holidays to you too. Well, Tom, I have to say what I found fascinating, and I think you mentioned it in the interviews, the fact that the Italians have their own special versions of all of these <laughs> drinks. I, I, we shouldn't be really surprised because we know, of course, Italy has such a strong culinary tradition. But having sampled some of the some of the drinks from from there, I, I can honestly say they're they're very tasty. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed our festive tour of the city centre. Certainly, there is no shortage of festive cheer and good spirit, and, and not and certainly not amongst those we encountered. So, if you do feel the need of a little, you know, light um, entertainment, I think it's a nice way to spend a few hours. Yeah, I think there's a certain charm to it as well. It's a shame everything is closed, but being able to see all these little stands across the city when you walk through the streets has some charm to it. And then people standing there around with their cups of glue wine and hot chocolates. It's yeah, it, it's a lovely sight. It is gezellig, as they say in Dutch. But I believe you have another final recipe for us, yeah, Tom. B- because some of these recipes are, are tricky, some aren't. And, and if you are looking to impress this Christmas, I thought and I delved into um, one of the, the my favorites that I've made prior for Christmas. Um, it's it's a drink that it's not a glue wine. It's a bit more accessible and you can play around with the ingredients and the measurements to really make it up to your liking. But it's an, an apple cider hot toddy. And you can add vodka if you like. You can spice it up. But it, it's a, a recipe that I'll be posting on the Instagram where you can find all of the information. But it really is a, a very tasty and accessible drink. I think the, uh, the fact that it's an, a warm drink like that makes it... Uh, very familiar to a lot of people. Warm is good. I haven't tried it, Tom, but uh, having heard it, your description, it's, I'm eager to try that. Yeah. So I would say stay tuned for that, and then you'll be able to find that on our Instagram. Stork Talks. I'm Tom. And I'm Zoe. And thank you for storking with us this evening. Now, next week on Stork Talks, we bring you some of the highlights of our time on air. Indeed. So after just three short months creating and producing Stork Talks, we find we have amassed an incredible amount of inspiring, informative and entertaining material. Yeah. And and as the year comes to a close, we would like to share some of these highlights with you. So no matter your passion, whether it be hospitality, politics, protests, justice, art or technology... Stalk Talks has something for you. So look out for that next week this time. Uh, And in the meantime, please feel free to visit our Facebook page for our live video discussion with the inspirational work of the Sint voor Iedereen Foundation and the Friends of the Hague or Vrienden van den Haag Association. Yeah, thank you so much for tuning in each week. And uh, hopefully you'll be joining us for our last little compilation next week filled with fun frolics and stories originating here in the Hague and beyond. Hopefully after that episode, we can welcome you back for another year of inspirational informative and inspiring stories right here in the city of peace and justice